This is gonna hurt. It's time, it's time for the Suffering, for the suffering Podcast. Podcast. When the darkness inside of us bubbles up and emerges in a surprise fashion, a universal struggle in every individual is the battle and war that we wage against ourselves. We fight to keep that demon subdued. We fight to keep the beast chained. Our victories are relished. Our defeats are lamented. When the darkness overtakes us, we travel down a narrow path with high walls. Rarely seen is the right or the left. We are hyper-focused on the threat in front of us with laser precision. We require the weapons and arsenal to fight the war every day. We train to become more resilient and stay on the path. Our beast will never be defeated, but may be tamed by never giving up. I'm Kevin Donaldson here with Mike Felice, and on this episode of The Suffering Podcast... We just join each other. <laughs> oh, yay. <laughs> but we're going we're gonna to talk about a very serious subject today. We're going to talk about the suffering of the beast, and we're going to get into exactly what the beast is. Those of you who have gone through any type of trauma in your life, you're going to know exactly what the beast is. And Mike and I know it all too well. But as usual, we have to go through our social media question because we're on the run to 5,000. So this week's social media question comes from Raymond. And he writes, what has your individual suffering taught you about people? Because people change around you after you had some sort of problem. Well, you know, people change around you. And also, people that are going through suffering, now you have a different perspective on that. You know, I mean, before our incidents, and you heard of someone going through a traumatic incident, I always, you know, and you hear when they retire. You yeah. know, I always thought. You're faking. You, yeah, you're faking it. And I know you went through that Absolutely. on a personal level. Absolutely. But now, now you start to have more of a, a feel for them. And, mm. you know, and, and as you know, through this podcast, we've reached out to people that have gone through, you know, whether it be shootings or, or traumatic incidents, and we talked to them and helped them through it. You think it's the same as when we, when we were cops, where you hung around cops more because they just understood you? Now, yeah, now we, may hung, we may hang around some da damaged people. Some of our best friends are the guys that we went to therapy with. Yeah. And we're in a text thread with them almost every day. Oh, so you know, so guys from my department, I don't text anybody from the department anymore. I don't talk to anybody from my own no. department. Well, I, I talk to a couple of guys. Yeah. You know, one of our guys just had a golf outing and I went up there to show support for it. I can't golf anymore, but. But you've seen people change around you, how their, their actions towards you. It's kind of like being in a recovering alcoholic. A lot of people dance around you. You're right. You know, they don't, they don't want to set you off. Like, like you said, with a recovering alcoholic, do you go over his house and drink beer in front of him? Well, you that's, know? that's Bobby Crudell said that, you know, people, yeah. people were very hesitant to drink around him after he went to rehab and he's coming in here real soon. So, <laughs> you know, but that's going to be a different episode. Uh, people were real hesitant to drink around him and he's like, well, by you doing that, now you're making me feel uncomfortable. Did, did you feel that people avoided you? A lot of people yeah. did. A lot of people did. But what did it, you know, I see both sides of it. Okay. I Absolutely. See, I see both sides of it because there are people who reached out to me that I didn't answer the phone. And then there's people who I thought would reach out that never called. But, you know, and I got kind of mad at it, but being removed so far from it, what the hell are they going to say? Exactly. And, you know, and a lot of people did come up to me months later and say, I didn't know what to say to you. Yeah. Because, you know, like I said, before Aaron said, we didn't know what to say to people either. No. I mean, you have no perspective on it. I've never, I could honestly say in my career, I've never reached out to someone who went through that traumatic of an incident to see how they were doing. Because I, I didn't know what to say. I didn't know what they were feeling. I didn't, you know, until 
until we got a hard-earned education on it. Yeah, some I didn't know what those feelings were about. Some of those life lessons seem to slap you right across the face. <laughs> Shit. Yeah. Uh, and across the ass and across the, the everywhere else on your body. And I will let go of something here. And I've never talked about this before. It's only me and you. Nobody else are listening. So go ahead. <laughs> yeah, there's nobody else listening. We're only on the we're only on the verge of five thousand subscribers for YouTube, but and then nobody's listening. Um I've never talked about this before. You know, after my shooting, my family my my immediate family, not my wife and kids, my immediate family changed. My brother, who was also a police officer, you figure he would understand a little bit more. It got back to me that he had mentioned something that I was full of shit. You want to talk about hurt? Yeah. You want to talk about really, really hurt? And because of that, I don't think I haven't spoken to my brother after I've heard that which is it's going on, shoot, it's going on eight years, nine years. Um, yeah, people change. You never really, never had a feeling to like reach out to them and, and talk it out and no, let them see what you're going through. And I, I can't. I, I, you say something like that about your own brother, you know, that's well, saying I, something about I, you. I, I understand that. But there's the other side of it. Maybe he doesn't really know what you were going through. Like I said, that's why I never really approached people in the beginning. I've heard, and I said before, I, I heard people that were involved in shootings and they retire. And I'm like, Hey, come on. You're a cop. But you, because I never really knew those feelings. Well, I know you had that similar thing with your brother where your brother approached you sometime afterwards and said, I, after you, after episode yeah, nine, exactly. just a shameless plug for episode nine. He said, I, I had no idea. Cause we don't tell them, you know, my father, Listen to episode nine, but never, you, never knew what I went through. But your brother and your your brother and your father weren't cops, yeah, exactly. and this that's yeah. that's what hurts the most. Like you're a cop, you you should fucking get it. But my, I'll tell you one thing. My brother and my father came over the next night. Mm. They were at my house the next night to see how I was doing. But they didn't really grasp the the beast that we were living under. The beast, the beast. So the beast lives within you and I, mm. and the beast has reared its head. So what are we talking about today? We're talking about. The beast. The beast, yeah. So the beast is that fireball of anger that starts in the pit of your stomach and gnaws at you. Now, after our traumatic incidents, I don't know about you. I Actually, I do know this. Zero to 100. No buffer. Zero to life sentence in 20 seconds. Correct. It, it was just one minute you're calm. The next minute you are throwing shit around yep. and you are an animal. You're raging. Right. So the beast is that ball of anger that comes from your stomach, eats away at you, and just rears its head where you turn you go from Bruce Banner to the Incredible Hulk. You know? But you're not the Incredible Hulk helped society. <laughs> we were no good for society at that point. The Incredible Hulk had a good heart. At this point we didn't have a good heart because we but it's not that we wanted it to come. Yeah, exactly. Out. It just it just Throw you threw it up, you're bleh, you and out it came. It, it's not something that you could say, well, you know what, you know, I could put this to the side. Once it once it pops up, it pops up. And I've seen other people release that beast, and you're like, eh, just, what the fuck is wrong with them? After my incident, I was like, eh, all right, I understand it. I understand it. You know, I used to watch my uncle, my uncle who was in. Um, who was prisoner of World War II? He would release your, your the, uncle Duke. My uncle Duke. I, I talk about. I love that guy. Dude. You would. You would just. He was the greatest guy in the world. He would laugh more than you. He would laugh, but piss him off. 
oh my God, I've seen it before. Yeah. I've seen, and he was an old man when I was a kid. I've seen him just pound on people, like to the point where I was going to kill him. I got, I got scared. I was a little kid, you know, but what was your, what was your beast like, um, before the incident? Did it ever, did it ever show its head? Was it there? Well, you, you know, in law enforcement, I think that everybody has some, some sort of beast within them, you know, cause some of the shit we see on a daily basis, but you can always control it. You were, you, know, a, you were a warrior in a garden. Yeah. Because it's better to be a warrior in a garden than a gardener in a war. And, and you're also a bull in a china shop at that point, too. <laughs> but you were able to control the beast. Yeah. You, you, kept it, you kept it chained, and you released it when you needed to. You, you got to find your safe place. You know, to me, a gym was a safe place. Mm. To me, going out running was a safe place. To me, getting in my car driving was a safe place. That was why, that was something that I wasn't very envious about with the way your, your career was because you worked in the same town. I at least had a 10 or 15 minute drive home where I could decompress. Decompression ride. Yeah. I, I could chain that beast before I got home. I walked to work. Yeah. I lived a half a block from work. I would take the long route yeah. if I, if I was you. I, it, I, I don't think I would like, and I know guys that worked in town and it was great because, hey, listen, they got to go take a shit in their own toilet. <laughs> you know, that's the, that's the best go thing. Go home ever. for holiday dinners. Right. Eat your, eat your lunch at home. But, that short commute, I needed that commute. Yeah. I really needed that commute. But for me, the beast was there. The beast has always been there in one form or another. But I had a lot more control over it. There were times when the beast came out, but there was reasons why it came out. Um, then, then our incidents happened. You know, but before, when the beast reared its head prior to your incident, how did you control it? Like I said, I, I kept a lot of it inside. You know, I'd, I'd isolate myself. Mm. You know, I'd go down to my basement and just put on a TV and just get myself away from everybody because I knew that if someone poked and prodded me, the beast is going to come out even more. You know, I got a lot of, oh, you're in that mood again. You know, which, hey, thanks. <laughs> Thanks for your understanding. <laughs> I think, uh, like you, I was a gym guy, so the gym was my safe space. That ride home, like I said earlier, um, just going out, and, and I used to be a lot more social than I am now. I'm, I'm somewhat antisocial now. I was at that party for, for Mackie, your girlfriend, and I... <laughs> I stood in the back. Like I was, I was trying to be social. And you almost did the Irish goodbye too, but that I wanted to, I wanted to, I yeah, really did. Cause you, you feel the anxiety coming up and I, I would never hold that against you. It's like, you know, oh, Kevin's leaving. Yeah. I figured he would. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I had to get out of there. I, I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. Before we go any further, I forgot to mention Toyota of Hackensack. So Toyota of Hackensack has been very generous to us. They, they sort of help us pay for the show here. And um, we buy our cars from there because we trust them. So go to toyotahackensack.com, let them find you a car. And then after you buy your Toyota uh, from Toyota of Hackensack. After you buy a car, what a better way to break it in than to go get a meal. To go get a meal at the Grand Saloon. <laughs> go to 940 Van Houten Avenue in Clifton. And Nick's going to take real care, real good care of you there. I mean, he's got a fantastic menu. And he's even got gluten-free options. That's why I get along with him so well. You got to mention the suffering podcast when you go there. Don't yes, you? mention the don't for both of them for Toyota of Hackensack and the Grand Saloon. Make sure you make sure you let them know that we sent you there. Let them know that their their sponsorship is not going unnoticed. Um, well, I, I know you've 
talked to the people from Hackensack Toyota or Toyota of Hackensack and Nick, and mm-hmm. they have gotten a good response from us so far. Toyota of Hackensack is crushing yeah. it. They are crushing it. My father went and got a car. There. I know. And they took <laughs> care of him. Yeah, they did. They, they did. took care of him. And, and <laughs> your father was bending my ear at that party about Toyota back and sack. He, he's like, yeah, you know, I went in there and, I, and, and they didn't, that I told them they sent me and I said, yeah, I had to make a phone call. And then once I made a phone call, it was okay. Um, well, you got to realize my father's like, I, I'm with, you know, Mike is my son from the podcast. Like, huh? what? The, the podcast. The podcast. <laughs> the podcast. <laughs> Duh podcast. Duh podcast. podcast. He's Italian. He's from Jersey City. So getting back to the beast, our incident happens. And now the whole game changes. Everything changes. People treat you different all around. Oh, yeah. You know, like I said, they dance around you. Or they're overly, I don't want to say protective of you, but, you know, they're they're right on top of you. You know, you're okay. You need anything. Really don't. I know they had good intentions. You really don't want to talk about it. No. I mean, I woke yeah. up to about 50 phone calls because yeah. it was a midnight shift. And yours was a midnight shift as yeah. well. I woke up to about 50 phone calls. And, you know, I wasn't feeling any kind of way about it then. So I got back to as many as I could. It's like, yeah, you know, and you start just telling the same story over and over. It's like Prairie Fire, episode <laughs> nine, Prairie Fire, episode nine. And you, you get tired of it. It's oh, like, yeah. you just like you want a tape recorder and just hit play. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm sure it's the same thing with you. I mean, we haven't even talked to the, we haven't talked to, now, of course, you got to get an attorney right away. Yeah. We hadn't talked to attorneys yet. You know, we didn't even have a debriefing on it yet. You know, people are calling, asking, hey, what's going on? You know, what happened? You don't even know if you're allowed to talk about it yet. You know, you're not allowed to say anything. You don't want, you don't want to tell someone what went on because if it gets out, oh, you know, I talked to the guy that was in a shooting. He said this happened. Yeah. And then you get the media coverage. When is the first time the beast reared its head after your shooting? You know, to be honest with you, I believe, I can't say it was the next day. It was the same day because my, my incident happened at 227 in the morning. So it was the same day. And like you said, you're getting all these texts, and these phone calls, and I'm really not answering the phone calls. I had a friend of mine that he texted me. Didn't ask how I was doing or, or what happened. The only text was, I need a debriefing. You need a debriefing? Yeah, he's, he's another cop. Yeah. He texted me and said, the only thing he said, I need a debriefing. That's... I was fucking livid. And... I jumped up. I'm like, who up? Now, I never texted a guy back. I never even approached him on it yet. Seen him a bunch of times since then. I never said a word to him about it. I was livid. Like, who up? Fuck are you to ask for a debriefing? I didn't even have a debriefing yet. You want me to tell you what happened? I was pissed. Oh, he didn't want you to have a debriefing. He needed. Oh yeah, he needed a debriefing. Oh my god. He he wanted to find out what went on. You know, he wanted the inside scoop. Not hey, bro, how you doing? Yeah, exactly. It was the first words out of his, you know, not out of his mouth, but his first text I ever got from him. My first time that the beast got released. I, I can remember it very, like it really came out. So my department, you're supposed to have a critical incident debriefing within 48 hours, 72 hours. I think that's that's the limit because after 72 hours, that's when the danger of chronic post-traumatic stress starts being a real a reality for you. You're so, so you're supposed to have it in 72 hours. My department's asked backwards. My, my incident happened on a Wednesday. 
they decided to have a debriefing on a Monday, on the net following Monday. So they're beyond the point because they don't care. And God forbid they have to pay for something to come in on a weekend. Right. So they bring in cop to cop They because the, the person at that time who was running cop to cop lived in town. And um, I go in there. Now, prior to this, they had taken our shotguns out of our cars because it's a danger and somebody left a shell in the shotgun. It was a whole thing. I've been shooting a shotgun since I was five years old. The dinosaurs in our in our department used to use them as ashtrays. <laughs> you know, the shotgun would sit right up in the middle. They'd flick their ashes in it. Back when I used to smoke in cars. So it was like a, it was like buckshot, but it was ashes, right? Um, so they took our shotguns away from our cars. And I've been shooting a shotgun for so long, you know, longer than some of the, some of the officers were alive. I, I was that guy that always had a shotgun. I always checked the shotgun. I always made sure I had everything in there. I was never, I was never complacent when it came to my weapons. So they take them out of our cars. This is about a year prior to the shooting. I go in for the debriefing that Monday morning. And that Monday morning, I was in the doctor's office getting glass removed from my arm. And I actually, um, I've talked about this before, where I broke down in front of the doctor, where she asked me if I was okay. And I wasn't. So I, from the doctors, I go to this debriefing. I'm sitting in there. It's the first time I'd been back in headquarters. And it was the last time I was back in headquarters. I get word that they're starting to put the shotguns back in their cars. And I get this feeling of joy. I'm like, hey, that's great. At least some good is going to come out of this. Then I hear, oh, they're only going in supervisors' cars. I lost my shit. I start yelling. I start screaming like that. Especially since the incident you had with your lieutenant. <laughs> right. So the lieutenant who ran away... He's going to get a shotgun in the yeah, car. A lot not. of a lot of good it's going to be is going to is going to be done with. He's on the phone, trying to suck off administration. You know, I lost it. Guys from my department had to lift me up. I'm not a small guy. You know, at the time I was probably two thirty five, two forty, somewhere around there. They lift me up. Not like you're two ninety now, so you're in shape <laughs> back then, right? <laughs> sort of. Yeah. Uh, they have to lift me up. And forcibly pull me downstairs because I was going to get charged. I was going to get charged. I was going to get charged for insubordination. I was going to get fired um, because I started yelling and screaming that bad. And that was the first time the beast really reared its head. But prior to that, it would have affected you, but not like it did that day. For something snapped in me. Yeah. It just, I can't explain it. Like The littlest things make you snap for no reason. You know when you see somebody walking down the street that you dislike and you're like, man, I want to spit in his face. There's that little thing in your brain to tell you, eh, it's not a good idea. <laughs> exactly. That's not a good idea. That's gone. Oh yeah. That's you gone. No, you have no filter anymore. So those chains that you use to control the beast that you used to have control over that were anchored in the ground, they just snap and you have no control over it. There's nothing that can cage. There's nothing that you can bring bring you down. I I bet you the guys and there was a guy, a bunch of guys surrounding me, protecting me from myself. Yeah. And if they weren't, I probably would have lost my job that day. Yeah, without a doubt. Yeah. And yeah. I mean, I, I was I was fine around around guys from my department, my administration. You know. Um, you had a much more congenial relationship with your yeah. department than I had. I mean, 
you've said a lot of times you weren't very friendly with your administration. Very adversarial. Uh, my, my chief, Chief O'Connor, the captains back then, um, Pat Devlin and John Valenti, they were always in my corner. Mm. I mean, they were, they were right. Uh, even, even the night of the, my incident, you know, we went to the hospital. Um, so before that, they took, they took our uniforms from us. We went, we got in civilian clothes. We went to the hospital. We came back. Pat Devlin, who, I don't know if he was a lieutenant back then, but he was on the scene. And as soon as I got back to our command post, he just looked at me and said, what do you need? That's a great boss. Yeah. That's like, a great like, boss. What do you need? You know, didn't ask me if I was okay or anything like that. What do you need? Because you're not okay. Yeah. And any anybody who's who's seen any and even type if he asks you if you're okay, you're going to say yes. Of course, fine. How I'm are fine. you? Fine. I'm okay. I'm okay. And honestly, after my shooting, I thought I was okay yeah. until that day. And then things started. Things started. My life just started to unravel. But the beast reared its head in so many different fashions. One of the one of the ways, and this will just give you a window into how bad it got in my household. My poor wife, you know, and thankfully she's she's still with me. Um, I don't know why. I don't know how. I don't know why either. <laughs> <laughs> you all kicked your covers, but go ahead. Right by my right by my kitchen, there was a cupboard that we, we used to keep cereal and pasta and stuff like that. It was like a food pantry type of thing. I went in there for something and something was out of place. And I lived in a bi-level, so there's stairs right by it. Everything in that closet, and I mean everything in that closet, including the shelving, went down the stairs. And ripped it right out. I didn't go pick it up. I didn't do anything else. I mean, think about this. Your husband's in a shooting. He's exhibiting this behavior. And this is not the first time he's exhibiting this behavior. And he just takes for no, for something being out of place. That's how bad it is. Yeah. You know how we, when you get aggravated at something, when you get so aggravated at home and you just, you, you, you do one of those. You, every, everybody out there knows that one. Mm. That was that, that's the but normal it, reaction. It doesn't stop at mm no. for us. It's mm, <laughs> boom, down the stairs, cereal, pasta, baby food, formula everywhere on the ground, everywhere. And I just walk out of the house like a jerk off. Yeah. And uh, how does a spouse deal with that? Listen, they they could either be understanding or go in the opposite direction. They could. I mean, yeah. I know people who went in the opposite direction (laughs) and did nothing but poke and prod and make the matter fucking worse. Yeah. But what's the right reaction to something like that? How if if your spouse was going through something similar, and I guess it's different, male female. I I, I hate this, but it's different. I'm sure. Um, if you were put into your spouse's position and, and you, you were witnesses, what, what, what react, there's nothing that's going to stop you, but what reaction do you think would be appropriate? You know, and, and I often thought about that. I don't think they're they're. I mean, do you give a sympathetic ear? You know, what, what do you say to them? Hey, you want to talk about something? You know, cause you don't, you know, there's not much you can do. It just like, let them be. You don't want to encourage bad behavior <laughs> and that's bad behavior. It's, it's not, but is it? It's not encouraging, but is it accepting the bad behavior because they know what you went through? Right? It, I don't want to say it goes with the territory, but really it goes with the territory. This is going to sound really, and I hate to use this word because 
Sorry, Mark. Sorry, Nick. It's going to sound really gay. Okay. For me, I think the the best reaction that my spouse could have given at the time was just to come over and some comfort, a hug. Sympathetic gear, like I said. You you just. Let's not talk. Yeah. Let's not talk. Let's just. Sympathetic shoulder. Yeah. A shoulder to cry on and let you really break down because. Bottom line is when you're when you're in that place, you feel out of control. You feel unsafe, alone, alone. I mean, you are out in the middle of the desert with no food, no water, and nothing else in sight. You don't know what the hell you're going to yeah. do. You just want to dig a hole and bury yourself. So, spouses out there, it's a tough situation because I just think the right way to react is make them feel safe. Make them feel loved. Make them feel that they're not alone. You may be, you may not be successful every time. By them getting mad, oh, it only worse. makes you matter. Oh, it just escalates yeah. the situation. Well, like you said, you know, and thank you, Drew. You've been emasculated at that point. Oh yeah. Like I said, I had my uniform taken from me in the in the uh, in our command post. My gun taken from me. Your second penis. Yeah. Your your <laughs> your penile extension. <laughs> now you don't know if you have your job anymore. You know, everything's up in the air. Everything changes. Everything changes. And ch- and change is very scary. Oh yeah. Yeah. Especially, you know, when, when you're in a career that you love doing, now you don't know if that career is going to be there anymore. Right. You don't know if you're going to be effectively able, If you, even if you do keep your career, are you going to be effective in your career? Mm-hmm. Is it going to change you forever? Both legally and in in your performance yeah. with in in the case of you i mean it, it was different with me but in the case of of your shooting l- there was legal issues oh, yeah there was there was ability issues there was mental faculty a bit issues so there's a, there was a myriad of different things you know it, it, like we said going back to a debriefing you know what my debriefing was we, we talked about it in the command post a little bit that night um that day, like I said, mine happened at, at 2.27 in the morning. So the rest of that day, we really didn't do anything. The following day, mine was September 16th at 2.27 in the morning. So the 16th, I had nothing to do all day. The 17th, we went and met with our attorney. The 18th, we had to go to state police, Totoa, and give our statements. The 18th was the day that my department scheduled cop to cop to come in. <laughs> so I go up, I give my statement. I come back to my department, guys from cop to cop were walking out already. Mm. I missed the whole cop to cop issue. And, you know, I saw them in a the parking lot. They gave me their cards and they said, if you need anything, call us. And that was it. Damn. Just and we went up to my chief's office and, and sat down and talked to him, you know. And like I said, it was like, I, I can't get on my department because mine was the first fatal police shooting in department history. I so think, they really didn't know what to do. They had to learn from that. Mine, there was the, uh, ours wasn't fatal. He was shot, but he wasn't. He wasn't killed. We did have a fatal prior to. That. And again, we walked. We worked in small suburban departments. It's it's not like the movies where people are getting shot and killed all the time. It doesn't work like that. Uh, but there are critical incidents. Um, you know, what was the worst you think that the beast? came out of you what was the worst time if you had to recollect one of them well there, there are times and, and listen the, the the beast could always rear its head rear its ugly head 
it probably wasn't like right then, but like a few years later when my son got into my face in my house about something and I snapped, I told him, get the fuck out of my face. I said, I'll knock your teeth down your throat. I said, nobody gets in my face in my house. It was my own son. You know, it hurts me to this day. You know, I didn't, I didn't want to do it. I didn't mean to do it. But, you know, like you said before, we went from to rage. Did it ever happen with your wife? Your ex-wife? I never, I mean, the arguments were a lot worse after that. What I'm saying is that that, that incident with your son, was there ever any anything similar with your ex-wife? Oh, we've had a lot of, you know screaming and yelling matches after that which we really i mean we did have arguments before don't get me wrong but the arguments just got worse and worse it's, and it, i never really you know i would never lift a hand to any of them but i you know there were times where i just stormed out of the house and just went out and got myself a hotel room the fun i just had to get out of there the reason i'm bringing that up is because my wife and i have had similar arguments because my my worst is very similar to you except my my son was three years old um we had had similar arguments um where things got really super heated but those aren't the ones that affected me the most that's not the worst of the beast when it it should be on par but for some reason it's not i guess maybe because they're adults and i or it's your or it's your son or your daughter or whoever it is, and you're always worried about affecting them down the line. But I I think it's a big mistake on our part. Well, yeah, without to, a doubt. To not seeing the 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 damage that we did to our spouses. Um like you said, it, it's not the main reason that I got divorced, but it's definitely a reason. Because I wasn't the same person anymore. No, you're different. You're different. And you know, it, it wasn't bad luck that you were there, by the way. Yeah. It wasn't bad luck. You were there. You needed to be there for whatever reason, whatever purpose. And only you can tell, say whether what you believe purpose. in God and say God put you there or you were there for a reason. You were in the right place at the right, at the right time. time. I say that about myself. My worst, I mean, I, I punched holes in walls. I broke about every bedroom door with a fist. I threw chairs across the kitchen. Um, that one was bad that one, I picked a chair up and we had bar stool, like not bars, but bar height chairs. And I picked it up and I threw it right across, broke the chair in, in a million pieces. I've broken lamps. Um, I've thrown remotes at my wife. I've spit at my wife. I've called her every name in a book and it's, <laughs> this is going to sound really horrible, but they, they were bad. They were bad and they affected me, but never as bad. And I've told this one before my son shortly after the shooting, pointed a uh, toy gun at me, and I lost it. I grabbed the gun. You know that maneuver where somebody's pointing a gun, you flip it around? <laughs> I did that to him. Like I, you training, it, training kicks right in. Instinct. Snapped it in two, threw it in the garbage, and went and lived in the woods for three days. That's the – because I recognized if I don't get out of here, the beast is going to continue to grow. That's what I say. Well, I I wouldn't go live in the woods. That's why I went and stayed in a hotel overnight. <laughs> I'm too cheap to go stay in a hotel. That's that's the bottom line. I'm I'm just way too cheap. Put on a family credit card. <laughs> yeah, but the the beast comes out in all different ways and all different fashions. Um, you know, 
And it doesn't even have to be a police-involved incident. Like if I could theorize if a, if a woman goes through a traumatic incident like a rape or something, well, the next guy that get, that she gets close to or her husband – He's in for it. He's in for it. I mean, he, she's going to get triggered oh, yeah. like that, and it's going to be done. There's, you, you, like I said, God forbid a woman ever gets raped. She has that 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 trauma from that, and now she's with her partner, and one thing leads to another, and they start having consensual sex. Could be a trigger in there that. Sets her up. It could happen to a guy too. You know, I'm, I'm just saying, you know, a woman could get that trigger also and take it out on her partner. And perpetuate the violence that she incurred. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, even someone who gets robbed, like, you know, you get held up at gunpoint on the street or something like that. You know, that person's going to go, they're going to have issues also. And the next time they see somebody that even remotely looks remotely like, looks like them. Their stuffs, you know, they're they're grabbing onto their wallet. They're making sure everything's there. They're they're shying away from everything. Maybe running to the other side of the street. <sighs> Unfortunately, it's wrongly viewed as a lot of the time. It's wrongly viewed as as racist or discriminatory against certain. When not really, not really. Maybe they have some sort of past trauma. Yeah, but that's the bottom line. Is we all don't know what is going to trigger that beast. What's going to bring that beast out? Because we don't know each other, and it could be nothing. Yeah. It could be nothing that triggers it. It's just you feel that mood start coming on and you just got to get through that mood and get to the other side. You know, at those worst times that you talked about, especially going back to that incident with your son, you said you went out and went, you got a hotel room? Yeah, I believe I did that night. All right. So did it calm? How long did it take to calm down and, and recage that beast? Probably about a 12 pack. <laughs> 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 a few Klonopin, some 12, uh, 12 yeah, pack. And, and that's not the right answer either. No, because no, it's just numbing right it. Answer. It's just numbing it. You know, you're, you're prolonging the agony. You know, you're, you're dulling the pain. Now, the next thing you're going to wake up the next morning with the same pain and a hangover. And now you got double shit. Yeah. Which yeah. makes it even worse. Yeah. Now you got to go home with your tail between your legs, half hungover. Did you ever get to the point where you think the beast isn't going to go away? Oh, yeah. There have been plenty of times. A lot of times it was at night. This you know, is this is my normal. When when you lay down, yeah, I used to call it the new norm. You know, this this is my new normal. Hmm. You know, when you lay down at night and your head starts spinning, and you start thinking about things, that's why I said, and I've said it here before. I, I mean, at no time was I ever suicidal. I never wanted to, to to kill myself, but I went to bed almost every night for a while, not hoping I died, but saying if I don't wake up tomorrow morning, it probably wouldn't be such a bad thing. So I, it's one of the reasons, and I hate to keep bringing it up, but it's one of the reasons I am a fan of of the Incredible Hulk genre, especially now after my my incident. So there's been because the Incredible Hulk reminds you of me. That's why you're. I understand the Incredible I understand completely. The Incredible Doofus. <laughs> um, no, but the, so Bruce Banner actually, Doctor Banner, isn't it? Doctor Banner. Doctor Banner, Banner uh, tries to kill himself on several different occasions. Because he feels that he can never control the beast, even no matter what he does. And he goes through deep breathing. If you watch any of the movies, there's all different types of theories. Deep breathing, you know, therapy or whatever mechanism of coping that he has. 
He tries and tries and tries and he fails every time. Until he realizes what his trigger is, what makes him, makes his blood pressure start to rise and then sort of brings it down a little bit, sort of, sort of brings it down. But he's tried to take his life several times because he thinks it's never going away. And that was me. You know, and that, that is like a perfect, I guess you could call it analogy of going through this, this beast, this, what we'll refer to as, as post-traumatic stress beast. When, when Dr. Banner turns into the Hulk, that's that, that rage coming out inside of us, you know, his came out different because it was a Hollywood thing, but that it's was a, the rage that was coming out inside of us. It's a perfect metaphor for what oh, yeah. we went through. Yeah. What I doubt it is an absolute perfect metaphor because there are times in our lives, maybe not recent, but there are times in our lives where it was okay to release the beast, where it was good to release the beast. You know, you, you on the football field, yeah. how, many, how many times you heard that one? Release the beast. <laughs> yeah. Release the beast. You want it to be. You want it to release monster, the beast on a football field. Yeah. Right. And that's what I teach my kids now. I said, you, you got problems or something. You, you got the perfect outlet to get it out. Something's going wrong in your life. Something's, something's happening in school. Girl doesn't like you. Your friends are, are being jerks. Release it on the football field. And guess what? You will feel better after you release it. Releasing the beast for us now, though, it, it came it a long time coming, you know, where we're not so much releasing the beast, we're just letting him go. Yeah, we're letting him go or, or we're controlling him. How know? do you think we, we – I know how I did it, but how did you learn to calm, control like, a little like bit? Like I said, my, my big thing was, was finding that safe, safe place for you. Yeah. You know, my, my, my safe spot was, was either going to the gym or going out running. What about therapy? See, therapy did a lot for me. It all depends on which therapist you go to. <laughs> Here we go. Not every therapist is suited. And, and that's a very important point. Just because they have a therapist. A sheepskin on the wall that says, yeah, I'm a doctor. I'm, you know, or I'm a therapist, yeah. whatever. Doesn't mean that they are well suited for your particular trauma. Yeah, exactly. I mean, we both went to one who had no idea about anything in law enforcement. Had no clue. I went to I went to one that everybody said was a bad therapist. Comp sent me to her. It was a, it was a female, but I had already been retired by the time they sent me to her. So the pressure was off of her, and she was a completely different type of person from what other people have described for me. So, are they bad doctors, or are they just beholden to a system that doesn't give a shit about you? I don't know. This one doctor that we're talking about, he he doesn't even deserve to he doesn't even deserve to have practice. He no. he should be. Just well, back in groceries. See, see, that's the thing. When when you're involved in a critical incident in law enforcement, they put you on workers' comp. Now you have to go to the workers' comp doctors who want to try to get you back to work. Who want to, they, they work for the town, and they're trying to get you back to work as soon as possible. Whether you're ready to or not, you're like a notch in their belt. If mm -hmm. they get you back to work, yep, got another one to go back. And if they don't, if pay me, yeah, pay me. You're getting paid anyway. Yeah. You know, it, they'll listen. If, if the guy is, he, he'll, I mean, this one guy, he kept bringing me back for session after session after session because he was getting paid. That same guy dropped me when I went to rehab. Yeah. That same guy. I called him on my way down to rehab. I checked myself in, said, Hey, I'm not going to make it. I got to check myself into rehab. I got a real problem. 
They didn't let, let us have our cell phones in rehab. A day later, I go and check my voicemail, nothing. I check myself out of rehab because it scared the shit out of me. And I check my, nothing. Two days later, I get a message from him. It says, yeah, I can't see you anymore because you're not listening to what I say. Listening to what you say. I'm drinking a, a fifth and a half of tequila every day and you're doing nothing. Are you, are you serious? Like what, what the fuck did you do for me? Besides rile me up. I was going to say that. I mean, that probably added to the beast by going to someone that, that is supposed to help you and they're not helping you. They're making it worse. That That's when, like when you get that feeling that you're never going to get out of that hole. You're like, fuck, I, a doctor can't I'm like, help me. I, yeah, I'm going to a doctor that's supposed to help me and I'm getting nothing. <sighs> then we meet our group. <laughs> Dr. <laughs> Steph's. Dented misfits. His misfits. Yeah. The most fucked up conversations I've ever had in my life happened in that room in Verona, New Jersey. But boy, it's the first time I felt normal. Because we were around people that, that were as fucked up as we were. So it gave us some sense of normalcy. I remember guys showing up, and I think it was before you got there. Guys showing up. And one guy is, I'll just say his first name. His name is Andy. He shows up one day and he's got this look on his face. It's like, like he didn't know what to say. There was so much shit going wrong in his life. He's just like, I, I, don't, I don't know what to do. I, I, I don't know. By the time he left, he was back to normal. He was back. That's a power group. Well, I, I wouldn't say normal. He was back to some sort of normal state. Functional. Yeah, fun, it was functional. He was Because we weren't, we weren't functional in the beginning. No, no. And, it, and, and, and that was a scary thing to me, too, because people are like, oh, you know. I had one friend of mine who he, he was involved in a similar situation. He's like, you got to get back on a horse and start riding again. It scared the shit out of me. So I'm like, I'm not ready to, you know, what happens if the same situation presents itself? What do I do? If I hesitate and I get killed, fuck it. I ain't here to worry about it. If I hesitate and someone else gets killed, I'm not ringing a doorbell saying I fucked up and daddy's dead. And you know, it scared the shit out of me. And it just so happened six months later, if I was back to work, Six months later, we had the second shooting in Lynnhurst history, and it was going to be my squad that was working. I could have been involved in six, uh, two shootings in six months. Do you ever have nightmares about going back? Oh yeah, I still do. Yeah, I do too. Still do. Or my retire. Yeah, I'm I'm going back to work for the first like the first day. You know that trepidation oh, yeah. you have going to any job for the first day. That's the nightmares I get back now. I I had nightmares where I was involved in another shooting again and it wasn't really a clean shooting. Did you ever have dreams about the beast? <sighs> no, not really. You know, it's just, like I said, my, my, my nightmares really just consisted of not being able to do something. You know, like I said, we talked about, you know, how many times did you have a dream that you were in a shooting and, and the bullet just fell out of the gun? You know, like you see on the cartoons all the time or, or the bang flag comes out, you know, and that's, that's when you wake up in a, in a cold sweat, my sheets, I've never washed my sheets that many times in my life. Yeah. You've never washed your sheets. <laughs> I don't have to wash them. <laughs> <laughs> but I had a dream like that. I had a dream like that where I started feeling that rage and I just started getting angry and there was people holding me back. And it's, it's very like, if I'm looking at it now, it's very metaphorical. People were holding me back and you know, the veins are popping out of your neck. You're just screaming. Let me go. You son of a bitch. 
and they're holding and I can't you, you know that feeling like oh, yeah. you can't move because they're holding you back and all you want to do is just go and explode but those people what I realize now is those people holding me back are the ones that saved me saved me from killing somebody I, I had a dream just the other night that my arms were I, I don't I don't remember all my dreams but I remember my arms were stuck and I couldn't get out <laughs> I just picturing you with your arms stuck yeah, I, I forget what they were stuck in but it was like I couldn't get them out and I, I kept fighting and I'm, I'm like shaking. I'm trying to fight. And I woke up in the middle of the dream and I threw the sheets. My, my arms finally got free. I threw the, the blankets up in the air and everything. Woke up in a, and like I said, I'm talking within the last two weeks. Am I, am I shooting up in 2014? You think the, uh, you think the beast is ever going to leave us? Not totally. I don't think it ever will. It, you know, as much as you try, it's always in the back of your head. Well, it's like taming a it's like taming a wild animal, and making it a pet. That's the way I look at it. Like I, I work very hard at taming that beast. To never, you always have the instinct of releasing it when necessary. Getting back to what it was somewhat before, you know, better though. You you have the the way of taming that wild animal inside of you, where you call upon it when necessary, but you keep it under control at all times. You keep it under control, but like I said, it may never go away. When did it start to... I was going to say, I got a question for you first. How do you feel the first week of August every month, every year? The first week of August? Or was it July? It was July. July. First July. week of July, my bad. I'm sorry. I just want to point out today is the day I was dying. Just want to throw that out there. I know it's a non sequitur. Wouldn't, you know, it's got nothing to do with what we're talking about, but the greatest musician in the world just ever died. Uh Frank Sinatra sung my way better. Come on, Drew, jump in on this. <laughs> su the suffering That's of Elvis. <laughs> That's another beast. Don't make the beast come out. Don't make me angry about Elvis. You won't like me You're when I'm angry. You're going to rile him up, Drew. We had this whole conversation a couple weeks ago. The, yeah, but the, the first week of July. Yes. That, that's why I said it may never go away. You've been witness to this now for a couple of years. Yeah. So you know how I get in July. Uh, I See. will not. I will withdraw shut down i don't I, I i'm always afraid that that beast is going to rear its head always yeah. and at home it does it you know i'm i'm a nightmare during the first week of july i'm leading up to it i have so much anxiety and the littlest things sets me off over time i will tell you that it has gotten better the first year was really bad it was really, really bad. Second year was bad, and it's been getting progressively better every year. Um, but that first week of July, Jesus Christ, it's I'm 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 partially back to the way I was after the shooting. Just an animal, just a, a, a nightmare to deal with. Nobody really knows people who in my circle know, who know me. They don't know how to associate with me, nor do I know, nor do I want to associate with them. Um, I think we did a show my, this year, it was on a Sunday was my anniversary and we did a show that Wednesday and I came in here and I put on a smile and I did the show. I forget who we, who we recorded that week. And I, I actually, I do know it was Pastor Ron Lewis. And if it was somebody say like, um, like Clark Fredericks came in here, 
I don't think I would have handled it the same way. Yeah. You know, Pastor Ron is so subdued and, and calming. mellow, calming. His voice has got that, you know, he's got that Southern draw. I don't think that's a good point. That's a really, really good point. So like when September 16th rolls around, 16th or 14th? September 16th. September 16th. So when September 16th rolls around, I have to make sure that we have a guest in here that is conducive. Actually, we got a good one coming in for you. That's the week before. That's going to be it's the most calming voice I ever heard in my life. We got to get like a clown in <laughs> the suffering of a clown. <laughs> oh, we're still trying to put that one idea together. Oh, no. that's the best. Oh, that's that, that. If we get this together, folks, it's it, it it's going to go viral. That one will go viral. But anyway, that first week, that first week is really bad. Is really really bad. I would love to to just go away that week, but I don't think that's the right answer. Because I'm running away from the prairie fire. Yeah, but see, <laughs> hashtag prairie fire. But uh, September, and, and see, that's the other thing. I mean, I know you said you've never gone back to your incident location. I drove past it once. I drive, mine had, Winters is a small town. Mm-hmm. I drive past it all the time. You know, so there's always that, that feeling when you're coming up on it. Did you ever drive past it and not realize you drove past it? Yeah, there have been times, and well, actually, one time that, that really got me was um, there was a. I was coming home one night, and as I'm driving up onto the location, there's a motor vehicle stop right in the same spot. I slowed down. I just stared at it. I drove about two blocks and pulled over. I, I couldn't had a hard time catching my breath. All that, and that was a year ago. Really. So we're talking how, you know, 2014 to now, and you're still feeling it. That's why I said, I don't think the beast will ever be fully gone. It's how, it's how you internalize it. It's how you take that and, and, and compartmentalize, internalize, internalize, and just keep moving on. I, I have heard through the grapevine who people who have spoken to the victim who was held at gunpoint during my shooting. That she was overly grateful and she wanted, she actually wanted to reach out and say, thank you. Do you know I turned it down? Really? It was too, too fresh when it happened. But then I think about the guy who, who was holding the gun to this woman. His beast got the, like, <laughs> his beast got the, got to the best. Yeah, I, mean, I, I look at it now. He really unleashed the beast he, that night. He did. I look at it now and, I this is going to sound so strange, but I understand it. I understand that the the lack of control that you have when you're so emotionally involved in something, whether it's a woman, whether it's an incident, whether it's your children, whatever it is, when emotions get involved, there's no telling what could happen. If you think about it too, think about her beast now. Yeah, she's got a big one. Do you think about her beast? You know, we, we think we have it bad. You know, she was held at gunpoint. She's probably got some, like we say, she's got a lot of shit, too. You know, I don't even know her name. Really? I don't even know her name. I could I could look it up. I don't know, because I'd love to talk to her. I really would love to talk to her. And In here? <laughs> always on air. <laughs> always on air now. Um, but I, I would love to talk to her. And... I'd love to hear her her, Version, synopsis, her yeah. synopsis of events, 
How I don't even know exactly. Did he ring the doorbell? Like, I, there's so much about my shooting that I'm just realizing now that I don't know about. Yeah. Did he ring the doorbell and say hi? Was there phone calls? Was there emails? I know there was a restraining order that was that was trying to get put through, and the guy lived in Florida. And I'll say the guy's name. The guy's name was Anthony Vocatoro. Um, I don't know, and I'd like to talk to him as well. We almost did. Yeah, we tried. It, we he. I'd love to. I'd love to be able to talk to him down in Florida. Right, we almost had him on the one time. Yeah, I, I, I want to. I would like to hear. I think it would be healing for both of us, and I think that might calm my beast a little bit. All right, let's think about him. Yeah, he's got a beast now too. He's got a big beast. He's got a big beast. So, and the the question is, is what do what? How often do you think the beast comes out now? If if before, let's say. You were oh, you, out of a month. You were twenty days a beast. In the beginning, it used to come out hourly. Yeah, you know, I mean, especially you know, especially leading up. You know, like I said, I mean, mine took fifty three weeks to the day to get the grand jury. I had a murder indictment hanging on my head for fifty three weeks for doing my job. Mm. So that that beast reared its ugly head. Let's say hourly. Mm. Then you finally get cleared by the grand jury. Now you're dealing with retirement, going before the pension board. There's a whole different beast. And some of the things that went on through it, I actually flipped out on my pension caseworker, lost my shit, screaming at her over the phone. So I flipped. Mm. But now, you know, like I said, it, I thought my retirement was going to release the beast. It was, not release the yeah. beast, but calm the beast. And and you told you gave me a little forewarning. You said it's not like it's going to be over. It's just going to be like, oh well. It's anticlimactic. Yeah. It's just like they, they tell me, hey, you got your pension. Oh, okay, okay, thanks. Yeah. Now what? Call my wife. Hey, I got my pension. Are you? Aren't you happy? Yeah, yeah. Because that, that's a chapter of your life gone. You you just. You just closed the book before you got to finish reading it. But we've learned so many different tools through our group therapy. You know, the right therapist leading the group, who was just as fucked up as the rest <laughs> of us, by the way. He, he's, he's guiding How this. How many times we just, like, make him shake his head in those groups? Ah, oh, so great. <laughs> it was so great. <laughs> Bring up the most inappropriate things. But that he knew. He knew that's what we had to get at. We had to talk yeah. about normal life in order to get back to normal. And not be judged by the people sitting next to us. Because I think the worst thing, uh, one of the worst things for me is I, I felt judged by every person I ran into. Even if they didn't know what was going on. For some reason in, in law enforcement, when, you, when you're involved in a critical incident like that, it almost, I don't want to, and I don't mean to sound like an asshole, but it almost gives you like status. Yeah, know? yeah. How many bodies? There, there was a guy in Maplewood who I knew, he, he, he was involved in two shootings. And they used to call him body count. Yeah. I was like, what? Now I'm thinking about it. I'm like, what the fuck? It, it, when I was younger in my career, there was a guy and two guys in Hackensack. They were involved in like three or four shootings. Mm. And everybody looked at them like, wow. With yeah, reverence. That, yeah, that's those guys. Yeah. I mean, uh, yeah. you know, so you get that, like, like I said, like you said, reverence or, or status. And, and that, that bothers me. That I don't, I just want to be the, the regular guy that, you know, really, I guess this, I wish this never happened. You know, I just want to be the regular guy that did his 25, 30 years and, and got out. 
These days, how do you contain the beast? Still go to the gym as much as I can. You know, if I feel it coming up, I'll, uh, again, I isolate, you know, try to stay away from people because I don't want to, I've pissed enough people off in the last eight years. I don't want to keep pissing more people off. So I, I pretty much get myself out of any uncomfortable situation, I feel. Because, you know, like I said, a lot, a lot of these, a lot of, the, a lot of the beast is brought on by an uncomfortable situation. See, I, I revel in the uncomfortableness and I'm always doing different things and trying new things and starting new things and learning new things. I, I think part of me, I, maybe it's, maybe it's a problem because at my most uncomfortable, I felt lost. So it, maybe it's a little normal to me now, but I, I like, and I failed at a lot of different things, but I like trying different things. I this, this, this show, this podcast, I mean, Hey, it's fucking insane. To, to hey I'm going to start a podcast I'm going to I'm you know I'm there's other people starting very similar podcasts too um, that was a dick by the way <laughs> um, <laughs> that was a dick uh, uh, it took me a second yeah it was a, it was a it was an underhanded dick but you know those things it's a purpose thing you know you you're in your shooting you got no purpose yeah and, and that's why I said you know it's keeping yourself busy now. So yeah. is is purpose the way to chain the beast? That could be it. Give yourself something to do. You know, everybody's like, oh, why don't you just retire? Because I can't, I don't want to sit around. If I have all day to do nothing, an idle mind is devil's playground. I'm going to wind up either releasing the beast or, or just going through that, you know, getting in that irritable mood. Well, think about all that time you spent where you couldn't work. I was 12 months. I was, very, I was fortunate. I was fortunate, but in that 12 months, I'm going to teach you the, I'm going to talk to you about the things that I did to just give, keep my mind occupied. I taught myself how to make moonshine, which probably not a good idea. Um, I made swords again, probably not a good idea. Probably not a good idea. Um, I taught myself how to plate braid. I made two. Did you ever see the, the bull whip that I made? Yeah. All right. So plate braiding is only good for bull whip making. It's a, it's, it's what gauchos do. Uh, I got two nine foot bull whips made out of paracord, which one of them was very funny because and I, Dr. Steph will tell this story that when you, when you do it, you make a hardcore handle, like a, you use like a big bolt or something. And I had it clamped to the desk in my office. And as I'm, you got to braid everything. It's sitting there and I would leave. It's not a one day thing. And I would leave it Well, my wife sees it and she takes a picture of it and she sends it to Dr. Steph. <laughs> She thought it was some sort of weird suicide device. <laughs> like I'm making the Dr. Kevorkian thing. <laughs> and, uh, and Dr. Steph, he, we're sitting in therapy and he look, he goes, what the hell are you doing? <laughs> Where'd said, you get that doc? I'm making a bullwhip. <laughs> Doesn't everybody do that? Um, you, you know, one of the things that was really good and this, I, I, I started metal detecting that you, like one of those weirdos on the beach with the. Walking around the metal detectors. It is the most. And I, I know another retired cop that is into it. He's trying to get me. I just don't have the time to do it anymore. But it was the most calming thing in the world. Because you're out in the woods. You're out in the middle of nowhere. You got headphones on. You're listening to And you're focused. And you have a purpose. It was the most calming thing in the world. See, I, can't, I can't do that. I can't like run with headphones on. I need to hear what's going on around me. I need to hear if someone's walking up behind me. I can't. Have headphones on, just listen to the beep, beep. I was Not never happy. so hyper-focused as when I was doing that. And that really brought me 
down a little bit. Did you ever find anything in the woods? Oh, I, I got a, uh, I found a 1787 Nova Cicera, which is a New Jersey copper. The constitution was signed in 1787. I found it in a, behind the Lazar school in Montville, which is right on Changebridge road. It's, it's about that big and it's in the ground. 1787. Really? I found colonial flat buttons. I found a lot of mercury. You know, I found a lot of silver and stuff like this, rings and shit like that. But that Nova Cicera was just sitting there. It was about eight inches down, pulled it out, and I'm, I'm just brushing up like 17. What? You could tell it was a coin. I'm like, what the hell is this? So, yeah, I have found things. But it's it's less about what you find, and it's more about just going out there and, and having a focused journey and a purpose. Well, what we repurposing? So you take something and repurpose it. I think, I think purpose is the is the is the way we cage that beast. The beast kryptonite. Yeah, I think purpose because lack of purpose. That's when the beast comes out. When you're out of control, mine it really hit me at night when I was laying down going to bed. Because now you got nothing to. You're just laying there. You can't sleep. That's one thing with. with Post-traumatic stress, you have a hard time falling asleep. Then your mind starts racing. Now you're laying there for sometimes for hours on end. Then you finally fall asleep. You only get two or three hours of sleep. Now you wake up the next morning and you're in that mood again because you didn't sleep well. And Yeah, but I, I think you're right. I think purpose is the way to. So we've gone through this. We've looked the beast in the eye many, many times. Still do. We do, we do from time to time. Uh, I think we have a little bit better grasp of it because we, we recognize them a little bit better. But see, are we like gluttons for punishment? Yeah. Doing this show. Seeing the beast. Seeing the beast. Other people's beast mm -hmm. on, a, on a weekly basis. But it's purpose. It's, it's purpose. And it's helping them, which in turn helps us. You know, a lot of times when, when I develop the, the outlines for these shows, I sort of know where it's going. This was one that we sort of developed on the fly. And I really didn't know where it's going. But we um, didn't really even go off of this list. But it gave us a little bit of. <laughs> but we could sit here and talk for hours about the beast because, again, we've looked the beast square in the eyes. We've battled the beast for. I battled it for the past nine years. You've battled it for what the past eight years. Eight years. So we're we're very familiar with him. You've looked you've looked the beast in the eye. What do you think it's taught you that suffering? If you let the beast be bigger than you then he's going to be bigger than you. You have to be bigger than that beast and learn how to control it. And it's just like, you you know, you get a, a big dog, like let's just say a Rottweiler. If you let that Rottweiler run all over, he's going to eat you up. You learn how to train a Rottweiler, learn how to take care of the Rottweiler, befriend the Rottweiler. So maybe that's it. Befriend the beast. Because the, Rottweil the Rottweiler is going to be there with you for the next... Yeah. X amount of years. So, you know, you know, the beast is going to be there. I like that. Befriend the beast. I'm going to have to write that one down. I may use that one. Hashtag befriend the beast. Hey, <laughs> we're just, we're all about hashtag and stuff. Hey, Drew, that's another good one I came up with <laughs> all by myself. <laughs> For me, it's, it's taming the beast. It's, um, looking that beast in the eye and containing him. But I, I have to go back to this. The thing, the, the, what this suffering has taught me is, is purpose is, like you said, the beast's kryptonite. And when, when I feel like my, my life is without purpose, 
That's when the beast starts rearing its ugly head. But I will, I don't ever want the beast to get the better of me again. I said be bigger than the beast. Yeah. So that's, I'd be bigger than the beast. I like that one. So let's, let's, let's end it on a high note anyway. <laughs> the, the Mel Brooks high note. But uh, to anybody out there, if you're going through this, you can get through it. It's not easy. It's not fun. But just keep some purpose in your life. Start a podcast kind of like, you know. <laughs> but now, now we bring the beast out for exhibit. That's what we do. We bring the beast on exhibit because we've befriended him. We've we know who he is now. We know exactly who he is. Well, he's in here every week, so we better know who he is. <laughs> and that's going to do it for this episode of the Suffering Podcast, the, the suffering of the beast. And let's think about all the stuff that we learned today. You don't have to understand trauma to be empathetic. We are right where we need to be at all times. Learn how to wrangle the beast and befriend the beast. But most importantly, and I'm going to I'm going to say it's most important because it's something I can't. Of course, <laughs> purpose may chain the beast. That's going to do it for this episode of the Suffering Podcast, the Suffering of the Beast. Follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Follow Mike at under, Mike underscore Flays. Follow me at Real Kevin Donaldson, and of course, follow the Suffering Podcast. If you like our content, don't forget subscribe, hit the bell. Let's get to that five thousand mark, and we're going to see you on the next episode of Suffering Podcast. Hashtag Defend the Beast.